Thank you, Andrew, for leading us into worship. Good morning, everyone. My name is John Campbell. As uh, Stuart mentioned, I am the Director of Advancement and Technology here at the college. Our um, intention, honestly, this fall was to create uh, a huge celebration. Uh, we were dreaming of having a, a supper here on campus, uh, inviting uh, our students to it, and inviting those of you who support the Divinity College to come and to hear stories of uh, the impact that studying at ADC has on our students, uh, and to hear stories from other uh, donors uh, as they talked and shared about why they give and what motivates them to give. There are amazing stories uh, behind uh, why a lot of people support the Divinity College. Obviously, with the realities of the world we're living in right now, uh, that wasn't possible to do, but we do look forward to doing this and being together in that way in the future. But we wanted to take this opportunity today, at least to pause for a moment here in chapel and to reflect on the Lord's goodness, his faithfulness, his generosity through his people. And students, one of the reasons why we're doing this at chapel and not some sort of special event during the evening is because this is for you as well. You may not realize it, but the tuition dollars that you pay only cover about a quarter of the cost of your education and what it costs to actually deliver it. Half of the cost of your education is paid for by donors who give today, this year, but also donors who have supported the college for many, many years, really from the founding of the university. And it's important for us to understand that and to know that, uh, to know that you are supported, people believe in you, people who you have never met and many who you never will have given to support the training that you are receiving today. But we have invited two people um, uh, to speak to you today, and I want to introduce the first one, uh, John Stewart. Uh, John is um, a very familiar face to the hallways of Acadia Divinity College. Uh, not only uh, has John uh, taught here at the college, uh, but he has also served on our board of trustees, including the chair at one point. And, um, and John is uh, one of the, those people uh, that regularly gives uh, to the college. So John, thank you for joining us today. I, I just want to uh, ask you this question and, and hear from you. Why, why do you give? Why do you give to support uh, Acadia Divinity College? Well, good morning, everybody. I'm pleased to be with you, and I'm pleased to share my motivations for being a regular donor of Acadia Divinity College. Uh, as is mentioned, my name is John Stewart. I'm a retired university professor. My discipline was applied psychology and counseling. I live in Fredericton, New Brunswick with my wife, and on December the 27th of this year, we will have been married for 48 years. Hallelujah. Congratulations. We have four, uh, no, we don't. We have two daughters with families. Um, each have three children. One grandson is at UNB studying, and the five granddaughters are still in public school. And I've attended uh, Brunswick Street Baptist Church in Fredericton for 30 years now. My overall motivation uh, for being a donor to ADC is to be part of the Great Commission, that is to make disciples of all nations by preaching the gospel, baptizing and teaching believers to observe all that Jesus has commanded. I'd like to think that by being a donor, I am indirectly doing my part to carry out this Great Commission. Consequently, I intently pray regularly for the faculty, staff and students at ADC, donate regularly and keep up with the college's activities. 
There are two main reasons why I donate to ADC. First, I support the college in its main function, that of equipping Christian leaders. I was an educator with 38 years of service at all levels of education from public school to graduate level university education. And for the most part, ADC is the institution that educates, forms and prepares individuals for ministry, both within the Atlantic Baptist of Atlantic Canada community and beyond. ADC needs our support and if it is to fulfill this mission and I'm pleased to contribute as often as I can. Secondly, ADC has passionate students. Most recently, I had the opportunity to teach in the area of pastoral care and counseling, a task which permitted me to become acquainted with many students. These individuals are motivated, compassionate, friendly, and caring, both in their expressions to fellow students and to the congregations where some of them were employed on a part-time basis. These are important qualities for pastors and trainers to have and to develop my donations help to support and encourage these students in rounding out their ministry qualifications. My experience with ADC has benefited me in several ways. During the latter part of my career, I completed a Master of Theological Studies at Wycliffe College in the University of Toronto. I was able to take courses offered at ADC that were credited to my program at Wycliffe. These courses opened up new areas of study that helped me to grow in my theological understanding and have helped to form me spiritually. As well as a member of the Board of Trustees for six years, four of which I served as chair, during that time I came to know the faculty and staff and gained a, an appreciation for the motivation and effort that they put into their work to offer quality education. Additionally, I gained leadership expertise and honed my abilities to conduct meetings uh, by planning and conducting them. This experience has given me a much greater appreciation for all that ADC stands for. And lastly, ADC has benefited my church community. In fact, we all benefit from ADC because most of their graduates are called to pastorates within the CBAC community. We benefit from knowing these individuals and their love for God as recipients of their ministry gifts and as co-laborers in the efforts to advance the kingdom of God on earth. In a world where the only constant seems to be change, I see great value in ADC in helping me and the CBAC community to understand and make sense of these changes. This is an area where faculty play a large part in their efforts to fulfill their mission, the college mission to equip Christian leaders in ministry in Canada and the world, they bring to bear their individual specializations in their teaching and scholarly uh, pursuits locally, nationally, and internationally. During these times of seemingly rapid change, we need individuals to help the rest of us understand this change and to continue to flourish within it. This is one of the values I see in ADC currently and going forward. The faculty at ADC are well equipped to provide leadership during these time, changing times to a variety of areas and issues, including being a missional church in an unchurched community with issues of ethics and cultural change, dealing with issues of racism with minority groups, making the gospel relevant in the 21st century, apologetics, just to name a few. 
In closing, I want to thank ABC for this opportunity to share what motivates me to be a regular donor. I want to leave you with a thought from Luke 12, 48. That reads, if God has been generous with you, he will expect you to serve him well. I think, I think God has been generous with me, and I'm pleased to serve him in a number of ways, including being a regular supporter of ADC. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for willing to uh, be willing to share with us today and to hear a little bit of your heart uh, behind why you give, what motivates you to give. I want to uh, introduce uh, Raphael, or Raf, as he's known. Raf is a, a current student here at Acadia Divinity College. Uh, for those of you who are students or alumni, uh, Raf's face uh, is not, uh, he's not a stranger to us and participates very regularly here in chapel. Um, Raf, I, I want to kind of ask you the, the same question. Uh, thank you again for, for being willing to talk about and share this, but tell us a little bit um, about the impact that people's generosity have had on you as you've come to, uh, to study at ADC. Um, thank you. Thank you, John, for um, that introduction. My name is Raphael, uh, but I'm called Raf, and I love that. I am married with um, three children. Um, it's good to know that um, John was married for almost 40 years. I, I, I was married about 16 years. So I, <laughs> um, I have three kids and I came to um, ADC. Actually, we came to Canada in 2018. First, I want to begin with a very deep sense of gratitude because I was far away praying in my room in the faraway land in Nigeria asking God to lead me to a place where he's going to trade me. Uh, the very first time I leave, I know that God led me to ADC. But coming, and then I realized that by the grace of God, I could be part of those who will be given the privilege of receiving scholarships and even bursaries is it, it makes a lot, a lot of difference in my academic pursuit. So by God's grace, it gives me an opportunity to focus without um, any kind of distraction on what we are being taught. And I can say that those things that we are taught, they do make a lot of difference in our lives. My soul, my life is being transformed, everything to prepare us even for the ministry. And I'm always very grateful. And again, when I come to see that there are many people who are supporting us, even those that we don't know, and those who had been part of this for a very long time, it brings a lot of encouragement to me to actually see that the faithfulness of all the ADC supporters, I call them our fathers and mothers in whatever realm, that their faithfulness is part of what is bringing us even into this opportunity to move out there and serve. For me, there is no doubt that God has called me to go out and serve as God's minister when I finished. And there is a deep sense of gratitude that many people are encouraging us even to acquire this training. And when I talk to my fellow students, I just see that each one of us is carrying this sense of gratitude on their behalf 
I just want to say thank you so much to all the donors. You are making so, so much difference in our lives. And by the grace of God, we will be out there one day to do God's will. And I believe your uh, labor on us will be rewarded. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, Raph. We simply couldn't do the work at Acadia Divinity College without the support of individuals, alumni, churches, uh, corporations, foundations. It is amazing even uh, this year, one thing Raf uh, didn't say is that because of the generosity of donors, uh, we don't actually charge our international students, international student fees. Uh, if you look at other schools, other seminaries around, that's a very common thing, which can actually double easily the cost of education. Uh, we believe in the worldwide mission of the church and our donors have enabled us to make sure that we remove those kinds of financial barriers to our students from abroad as well. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who gives. Thank you for supporting Acadia Divinity College. I'm going to invite uh, Andrea to lead us uh, in our time of prayer. Thank you. My name is Andrea Pierce, and I work uh, as an administrative assistant uh, at the college. Uh, so many of you don't know me, so I just wanted to introduce myself. But let's join me in prayer together. God. We give thanks to you, O Lord, with our whole hearts. We are thankful for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Today, as we gather together as the ADC community, we give thanks for those who give sacrificially. We recognize that it is this, the sacrificial giving of others that we as a college are able to continue our call to train and equip people for your service. Lord, let us always be able to sing your praises and share your goodness as you have richly blessed us with humble givers who share in this mission and ministry. We pray that you, Lord God, would help us to always be good stewards of these gifts. As students in the ADC community, both current and alumni, and recipients of scholarships and bursaries, we are deeply grateful for all that we have received. We also give thanks for the ways that all gifts to the college help to relieve the burden and cost that comes with studying. We give thanks for all that you have done in our midst and we recognize that there are those who are in need more than we know and understand today. We pray for those who go without today. We pray for those who are weak and in need of your protection. We ask that you help us to serve and to always remember those who are in need in this world. We are grateful for your goodness and your righteousness. We praise you and thank you for your great love. Today we ask your blessing on John as he preaches and that you would also bless the reading of his word this morning. I'm also going to read the scripture passage this morning. Um, it is John. Uh, it is found in Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 38, to chapter 13, verse 2. I will be reading in the NRSV version. As he taught, Jesus said, "Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he calls his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As they came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for praying and reading scriptures today, and thank you for serving uh, at uh, Katie Divinity College as part of the development team. Now, I know what you're thinking as we get started. This is a little on the nose. The guy who's in charge of fundraising is going to preach a sermon on the widow's might. That's a little bit obvious as maybe a missionary coming and speaking on the Great Commission or a seminary professor talking about study to show yourself approved. Well, you probably got your uh, sermon development bingo cards ready, waiting for me to say some of those great phrases that we see on tapestries and mugs and God loves a cheerful giver. You can't serve two masters or even maybe throw in a little where your treasure is. Ah. Ah. This passage, though, this passage basically writes itself. It preaches itself, doesn't it? I mean, you start off with a passage, you can talk a little bit about the two coins, maybe throw in some Latin to talk about the Roman oppression and the currency. You can then slide into how we should measure the gift on the relative amount, not the actual amount given uh, proportional to the giver. Probably throw in a God loves a cheerful giver, close with a go and do likewise, and then pass the plate. Easy, right? If you're in the preaching class, don't do that. Have you ever heard that this sermon before? Have you ever preached it before? Well, make no mistake, this passage is teaching about generosity. It is teaching about giving, but not in the way that we may think. And as we dig into the passage today to understand what Jesus is saying about generosity, I want us to maybe see this passage with new eyes and even maybe change the why and how we give. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Now, the first thing we really need to do is understand the context, right? It's key here, as it always is. Because in this passage in Mark, we find Jesus having come through the triumphant entry, come into Jerusalem, leading up to Passover. He has spent pretty much his whole time flipping tables, driving out money changes, arguing theology and taxes, and just looking for a fight, condemning the religious authorities and the systems around him. 
And that's where we find this teaching. That's where we find this story of the widow. You see, we we find him first, though, before we get to the widow, challenging the scribes, the teachers of the law. And Jesus accuses them of of, of becoming accustomed to a certain way of life, a a place of importance, a, a place of honor. They wanted to be noticed. They walk around the courts wearing their ceremonial garbs, not because they had to, not because they were on official business, but because they wanted to be noticed by everyone there. And Jesus goes on further in his accusation to them, saying that they achieve this, they maintain this place of privilege on the backs of widows, their houses, their estates, everything that they have. He says that they devour widows. Devour. That's quite the word. Makes a really great title for a food and film festival, I think. But in this context, make no mistake, Jesus is not accusing these people of sitting at the table, reaching across and stealing a single French fry and nibbling on it one at a time. No, this is not a death by a thousand nibbles. He's accusing these people of bellying up to the table, of taking everything that it is, everything that they can get their hand on, leaving nothing behind. And after this accusation, Jesus goes, we find him sitting near the treasury in the court of the women, looking for an example to support this accusation, and he doesn't have to wait very long. Because we're getting close to Passover, a high holy time, the courts, the temple would be filled with people, crowds of rich people wandering around. And she stands out like a sore thumb. Again, Jesus encounters a single, solitary woman. And it echoes back to all the other encounters that Jesus has with single, solitary women through his ministry. And he sees her and he knows that she's a poor widow. And there's no divine insight needed here. It is obvious to him and to everyone else that's looking. She is there to give like everyone else. And giving is such a public affair. Done in the open at the temple court with these large metal horns that are set up around. Designs that when you throw the coins in, it'll make a cacophony of noise to draw the attention. But what draws the attention that day is the deafening silence of her gift. Two small coins. And then Jesus speaks these words. She's given more than all the others. And here we come to the rub. Theologian Addison Wright points out that Jesus, in saying these words, is actually just making a very simple observation. This is not something earth-shattering, ground-breaking kind of thing that he is saying. He is just looking at what is. It is so simple, in fact, he doesn't need to explain it to the disciples. And in Mark's gospel, that's saying a lot. But all too often, when we read these words of Jesus, we like to tag on to the end a go and do likewise. But that's not there. Jesus is silent. He doesn't go to one of his favorite phrases. And the reason is because Jesus is not holding up the actions of this poor widow. This, he is not holding it up for emulation. It is not a celebration. This is a condemnation. 
not of her, but of the system. It is a lament for what he sees and a longing for the way things should be. Where the scribes would want us to see a faithful woman giving sacrificially as an example for us to do the same, Jesus is asking us, Jesus is telling us to step back and look at the bigger picture and see an unjust system that is taking advantage of the poor, that is devouring widows. Now remember, when the law is given, clear instructions were given to the nation of Israel to care for the poor and for the widow. Deuteronomy 28 says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's production and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that your work of your hands. This is what the nation was told to do, and yet they stray from that. And we get into the prophets, and in Isaiah, he begins the writings that we find in chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, You must not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my anger will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless. Suddenly the word devour doesn't seem like such strong language. And yet here we find Jesus hundreds of years later standing, sitting in the temple court, looking into this woman's eyes, looking into the eyes of a woman who should not exist. But there she is. Her standing in the middle of that opulent place with the stones and the walls and the scribes walking around in their robes and enjoying their place of privilege, her standing there is an indictment of the brokenness and the sinfulness of that system. She's given more than all the rest, Jesus says. And when we read this passage and when we teach it as a call to emulate, we're actually doing exactly what the Lord is trying to tell us not to do in this passage. Because, my friends, that woman, she is not supposed to be giving everything she can to the temple. The temple is supposed to be giving everything it can to her. And instead of lifting her out of poverty like it was called to do, it's pushing her down into it. Jesus doesn't pass any judgment on her actions, but rather on the actions of the religious leaders and the broken systems that they're propping up. Sadly, this kind of abuse still happens today. In the name of Jesus and his kingdom, there's a, a YouTube video that goes around, it's quite popular, maybe you've seen it, of two well-known televangelists who are sitting having a conversation uh, trying to uh, justify to each other their $30 million private Lear jets. The Lord has given it to me to do their will, his will, they would say, agreeing with one another. And then they turn and with a straight face ask those watching to give sacrificially to the kingdom and for their jet fuel. Who would give money for that? I'll tell you who. A woman I'll call Mary. I had the privilege of pastoring for some time in St. John's, Newfoundland. And there I met Mary 
she had some pretty serious mental health issues. She got her, that got her in trouble with the law quite a few times. She was in and out of institutions trying to be well, but struggling. And she would come by the church, come hunting in the food cupboard, especially near the end of the month, trying to get enough to get by. And she was receiving government assistance. She had a small uh, one-room uh, one apartment. And at the beginning of the, every month when she received her check, she would turn around and put 20 or $30 into an envelope and send it to one of these men. She was buying fuel for their jet while she scraped the food out of a tin she found in the back of a cupboard of a church emergency food bank program. And it makes me sick. But when I think of Mary and her situation, I feel the righteous anger building up inside of me. I want to be with Jesus a few verses earlier and start flipping some tables, start driving out some money changers. When I get to this passage, I want to sit down with Jesus, looking over the rich crowd, taking advantage of the poor woman. But that's a dangerous place to see myself. It's dangerous because I learned a long time ago when I picture myself or try to place myself into any of the accounts we find in Scripture, if I find myself sitting next to Jesus or seeing things through the eyes of Jesus and not the condemned, not the broken, then I'm probably reading the Scripture wrong. And unfortunately, I have to admit that I am probably in that crowd more often than I want to admit participating in the system and not sitting with Jesus condemning it. I'm reminded that from the perspective of many people in our world, that maybe sometimes I act like I have a jet that needs some fuel. You see, friend, this passage is a call. It is a call to us to defend and not devour the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, the needy that are around us. It's a call to consider if we're holding a shield or a fork. It's a call for us to see those in need, to name the injustice, and do something about it. And that's what I want to ask you to do to become a defender, not a devourer. All of us are given areas of influence where we can work to promote justice and just systems in our homes, in our churches, in our ministries, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our country. Doing the hard work of seeking justice and doing the work to name it and address it, these are hard things to do and they can seem overwhelming. It can seem like there is no hope to change something as big as that. But I'll remind you, the stone walls of that temple, they didn't come down easy either. But they did come down. The other thing we can do on a personal level is to be dangerously generous. The condemnation of these church leaders, the story of the widow, comes right in the middle of a huge discussion about money, about giving, and about generosity. And oh, the women, the woman who's there may have been giving as a faithful action inside of an unjust, oppressive system. It still offers us hope as being part of the cure, part of the solution. Because the act of giving is powerful, 
And it's a meaningful action that can bring about real change. It starts with us individually by resetting our heart relationship with money. It puts it back in its place where it belongs, not out front driving our decisions or our thoughts or our actions. But because when we give, we are consciously giving away not only the money, but everything that that money comes with and brings to us. It comes at the cost of something we wanted, something we wanted to get, something we wanted to do, hopes or dreams. And when we give it up to someone else, we release control of the usage of that money to someone else, to the Lord. And it's very hard to devour someone when we're focused on giving and not taking, when we're focused on others and not ourselves, when we're focused on justice and not just us. Radical giving also affects the other. When we give, it provides others with opportunity. It encourages. It empowers. It gives choice. It brings hope. It helps to tip the scales of justice a little more towards the kingdom here on earth. And when we give, we are making a loud proclamation to what we believe is important, what we believe is right, and how the world should be. Many of you support the work of ADC, and I want to thank you for that. When you give to the college, you're giving to help students like RAF and others to remove financial barriers that prevent some from following the will of God and preparing for their ministry. You're supporting quality training to ensure that those people that the Lord has called to serve do so well. You are preparing men and women to have to lead ministries around the world to have a significant impact for the kingdom. And I want to thank you for that. And my challenge today is not to give, <laughs> because you already do, and you will continue to do in the multiple places and things that you support. But my challenge to you is this, is that when you give, whether it be this week or today or whenever, to give as a defender, to let a little bit that righteous indignation bubble up inside of your soul, to point to the thing that you believe is wrong with the world, and to feel how your gift, to know how your gift will make a difference. Giving is a radical act. It's a protest against the way things are, a way to stand up in the crowd courtyard of an unjust system, to say no more. So as I close, my friends, I just want to leave with this. Seek justice through your giving. Join with God as a defender of the poor and go and devour no more. Amen.